Hello and welcome to the Right Dishonorable podcast, as truthful as resources permit. Jazza, are you Team Israel or Team Palestine? You, oh Jesus. <laughs> You're a terrible person. That wasn't the worst way I could have phrased that question. There were other, I, other I, options. I, it's, it's, it's up there. And, uh, oh God, why did I... Why did I suggest this topic? This is going to be terrible. <laughs> I, will, I, I will be more serious uh, throughout the rest I of the episode. So. I'm just ta- I I, hope I'm taking so. my cues from the, the slices of American social media that keep bleeding into my universe. Um, oh, yeah? I mean, that seems to be the gist of like what's going on, right? Is that there's uh, people are taking up very strong positions on one side or the other and screaming at each other a lot. Oh my god! Which we'll is ha- talk about it. That's what like that was one of the one of the great blessings of being banned from Twitter is separating myself from the discourse where everybody feels like they have to make a public statement about everything. Mm. And now that's bled into my Instagram, and I'm quite annoyed about yeah. it. Sweetheart, hey, fitness influencer, great, lovely to see you, but nobody was waiting for your take on the Palestine-Israel conflict. Like nobody wanted that. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, most people are not waiting for our take either, but I, I guess... But we're going to give it to you. Whoever is tuning into this podcast, presumably, um, is, is slightly interested or, or not totally uninterested. Oh, let's no hope so. Um, Hello, everybody. My name's Jazza. That's Jimmy. We are the Right Dishonorable Podcast. And we Just meet. a reminder. <laughs> we, <laughs> whenever we, the fuck we want. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. We meet whenever we want, whenever Jazza can clear his schedule. Um I'm really busy and important. Thank you very much. I have a child. I'm, I'm not. I'm not impressed by wow. whatever. How, wow. However, oh, you're wow. filling does your time. Does that mean that you're busier? Oh, does that mean that the stuff that you're doing is more important? Oh, yes. wow, really good for yes. you. Yes, oh, it my does. God. People, yes. people said that this would happen. People said that my friends would change when they started <laughs> reproducing, and I didn't think it would be you who would come at me with that attitude first, Jimmy uh, Nichols. Jasper, I'm just a better person than you now. I'm just a better person. I mean, I was always a better person, but now it's official. So, well, just because I ha- I have to save up to buy a baby, so you're saying that I <laughs> I'm incapable of doing that until I have a hundred grand to pay a surrogate. Wow, really kind of you. Thanks. Anyway, uh, what else are we going to talk about, Jimmy? <laughs> um, so, whoever is is listening to this podcast out of context, Hello. or you know, many you know months after it's been released, which is is vaguely possible. Um, Obviously, the main news this week has been the conflict that's has flared up in Israel-Palestine again um, with Hamas basically invading uh, southern Israel. And uh, as we record this, Israel is basically in the process of uh, invading Gaza, the Gaza Strip. And I, I suppose we're going to be talking about what's happened and the reaction to it. But it's um, depending on when this gets released, it's quite a fast-moving situation. So uh, levity Great. aside, that's uh, the, the, you know context and some disclaimers as to what we're going to be talking about. On a more light, light-hearted note, Jazza, we are also going to be talking about the Labour conference, which has just taken Sparkle place. Sparkle with Starmer. Is this a reference to the protester who threw glitter on Starmer? It is 100%. And uh, apparently they are making uh, t-shirts with that phrase on it. And I kind of want you to order me one, Jimmy, if you could. Okay. Thank you so much. If you could share your sizes, then... Uh... You know, I can't guess. So, will you really? Will you really? I, I, I want this for Christmas. Okay, some of your sizes, and I'll, I'll sort it out for you. Okay, cool, yeah. cool, cool. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Like generally a medium, but you know. 
I feel like I'm a medium and you're bigger maybe than me. A, I'm not. Maybe, maybe a large for like PJs. Is this more of a PJ style situation here? I feel uh, we've, we, yeah. we, we've been diverted again. I think this is the problem with recording on a, on a Friday evening just after you finish work. Um, so basically Labour had its... Uh, it's had it's what is it's going to be its last conference before the next general election in, in all likelihood we said at the end of the last episode we kind of buy the theory that spring is a likely time for the next election probably the most likely next october yeah. which would fall in the midst in the middle of conference season is is the next candidate i find it kind of unlikely that um, rishi sunak is going to string it out until january 2025 but legally speaking that's possible that's the last possible time he could actually call a general election yeah. So we're going to be talking about, uh, I guess, that protester, seemingly, who uh, jumped on stage and threw glitter on Keir Starmer. They did announce a load of stuff, but everybody keeps on saying how boring it is. Um, and I guess that's worse than cancelling the largest infrastructure project that the UK's seen since the 80s. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. I think when journalists say that something's boring, what they mean is they can't really be asked to do the job they're paid to do. And they're going to talk about something funner and shinier instead. I have the full list of stuff that was announced at Labour Party conference. And I am going to choose at least three that I think are really exciting. Okay. Shall we do that? That's, that's yeah. something, something to look forward to. Yeah, I also <laughs> I also have a list of stuff that happened at the Labour conference. It may be a different oh my God. The same one. We'll, we'll see what happens. Um, Did we do research? A little bit. Not too much. Um, I, I just opened up Labour List, I'll be completely I, honest. I didn't want and to then... disappoint the, the audience by over-researching <laughs> the topics. <laughs> of course, we have a brand to uphold. And then finally, uh, Jimmy suggested that um, we talk about something basically just to goad me. Essentially, the um, Conservative Party have announced a free speech czar um, because free speech is under attack. Well, it was announced a while in... ago. He's just given his first public speech. Oh, cool. Okay, that's so. great. His name's Arif Ahmed. He's from uh, the University of um, Cambridge, um, which is the worst of the two. And but, I mean, uh, J- Jez is being petty and vindictive here, but he is also correct, I think, in, in terms of <laughs> academic rankings. I apologise to any Cambridge students who are listening to I us. I don't. I don't at all. Um, hey, you get you get the rowing, and we get um, everything else. We get the prime ministers. Um, it's true, <laughs> accurate commentary. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so Jimmy's probably going to say, "Oh, free speech, like cock students," and then I'm going to give him facts. Okay, okay. Uh, but should we? <laughs> Should we talk about? Shall we? Yeah, yeah. Talk about the Patreon. Beg for some money, uh, and then get on with it. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, let's do it. Welcome to the short advertising break. Before we return to our main feature. If you made it this far, you're probably enjoying the Right Dishonorable podcast, but you could be enjoying it even more if you went over to our Patreon to access bonus segments. Every week, we talk about something that we've not talked about in the main episode, trashing such varied targets as Elon Musk, other people's podcasts, and vasectomies. To hear why Jazza wants me to get the snip, head over to patreon.com forward slash Right Dishonorable. 
and you can subscribe for as little as one American dollar per episode. That's patreon.com forward slash right dishonorable. Thanks, as always, to our existing patrons. Alice L, Andrew Kilpatrick, Archie, David Preston, Gemma Cumming, Gia Carney, Ilona Domkina, John O, Marlene, Matt, Michael Costa, Michael Markman, Nick, Nick Webb, Tabitha Gross, Taha Khan, Theo, and Ubo Noig. Jimmy, if you had Instagram and uh, felt compelled to share your thoughts on the Israeli Palestine conflict. Um, what would you be writing into your your Instagram story? I mean, I do have Instagram, Jazza. I think I follow. Do you? you. Yeah, I think I follow you. I don't really use oh, it very much. Well, you had to have you had to have your girlfriend tell you about my my haircut. <laughs> my uh, my girlfriend is a much more avid follower of you on Instagram. Um, hey, like... I I get my fans. My fans are are everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> your fans want haircut content, apparently. Uh, which is not suitable for uh, an audio format like this one. So you'll have to you'll have to go check out Jazz's Instagram if you want to see that. Um, at Jazz John on all social media platforms. But more seriously, back to back to Gaza. <laughs> um, I mean, I just obviously I'm about to record a podcast where I pontificate on the the situation uh, in Israel and Palestine. But I don't. I've never really felt the need to offer a kind of. I think even when I was active on Twitter, um, Jazz is going to mock me now for my uh, my third attempt to quit Twitter. But um, <laughs> I, n- I never felt like I needed to release a statement on my position on any given issue. Like if I had an opinion about something, I would post it, which I, I think is a slightly different mentality. Do you know what I mean? And I, I do understand what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but you're referring to this. There's a there's a America well Canadian comedian called uh, Ryan Long who did this funny sketch on YouTube where he mocked actors who feel like they have to take a side but the the signals of which side to take are much more confusing than other like other events where there's a clearly progressive side versus a clearly non-progressive side uh, mm-hmm. because the basically let the, the left wingers in this instance are largely more sympathetic to palestine and in some cases mm-hmm. more sympathetic to hamas which is a, a very important distinction um, but hamas is also a... are they sympathetic to hamas yeah definitely have you not seen that at all? I haven't really seen that. That feels that's that for me, Jimmy, is a bridge too far. Yeah, well, I, well, I, I mean, I, I can give a British example. Actually, there was a um, there was a commentator from Navarra Media who uh, posted oh, faves of the pod. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Navarra Media. For those who've forgotten, was a well, it's a it's a hard left uh, publication. It was very close to the Jeremy Corbyn uh, leadership of the Labour Party. Um, and uh, I think her name's Rivka Brown, um, but she she posted that um, when uh, when the initial attack happened, where when Hamas moved into southern Israel and uh, had started killing people, executing people, um, she posted that this was a great thing. It was you know people rising, the Palestinians rising up against their oppressors, oh i.e. Israel. She did backtrack on this later, not entirely convincingly, but. There have been sections of the left, and they tend to be the more extreme sections that have been relatively warm about Hamas's actions in this instance. And it's because they see it in a kind of oppressor oppressed dichotomy, really. Yeah. And, you know, Israel are the, are the bad inheritors of the British American colonial legacy, and um, yeah. you know, the Palestinians are the 
the put upon oppressed people with you know yeah, yeah. There, it's not that there is absolutely zero truth to that story there are reasons why you can construct an argument around around it but it does it can lead people to you know justify really disgusting things as as has been seen um from from certain quarters of the left not the general left in in the case of the uk um i think i think one or two members of the squad in america i.e the group of four in the democratic party um They've been, they've been members. There've been Democrats who have said quite sympathetic things towards what uh, what Hamas have done, or or at least haven't been haven't been forthcoming condemning it. Put it that way. Mm-hmm. So this is this is happening on both sides of the Atlantic. I'm sure something similar has been seen in other Western countries. Um, and, yeah, uh, it does feel it does it does feel um, particularly. I don't know. Every everyone here in the states, like um, I, I, the Jewish community, is much more prominent over here and has a much uh, uh bigger voice here and um the pro the pro uh israel and the pro palestinian kind of like alignment is much more baked into mainstream politics here than i really than i think it is in the uk i just don't think we th- the uh, there's certainly the debates that we had with the left and um especially when jeremy corbyn was leading the labor party it was more salient as an issue but i just don't think it's something that people think about nearly as much in the uk as it is in the states i think that's true i mean the the, the tory party is is quite firmly pro-israel um you know for i, th- I think often for, to do with reasons of geopolitical strategy um in, in that the uk finds it useful to have israel as an ally in the middle east um mm-hmm. And I suppose there's also those kind of arguments about Judeo-Christian civilization that you you hear oh, trotted out. Oh, don't you start by. that! I'm not starting. I'm I'm saying that this all is right. an argument right, made right. by by other people, such as Nigel Farage. Um, and I think on the so Labour, I think it's a mixture. But um, I think Keir Starmer has has de- you know condemned the attacks, and um, I think the Labour the successful Labour leaders are generally quite pro-Israel historically. Um, which isn't to say that anti-Palestine. It's just that I, I don't, as you say, I don't think there's kind of an, as neat a mapping as there may be in the US between left and right. I think the UK, the issue isn't quite so politicised, and I suppose generally there's an agreement among um, elite politicians that uh, that the UK backs Israel. Again, and I think a lot of that is to do with for strategic reasons rather than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I mean, there has been. All that said, and I—I I mean, I'm not particularly. And you know, part of the reason I didn't post anything on uh, on social media about this is that I—I'm not. I don't really have a a side as such. Um, I think that you know, I don't. I don't want entirely both sides. I think that Israel actually does, even though Israel has done so, the Israeli military has done some terrible things. It is closer to a sort of Western conception of respect for human rights and democracy, um, and it is. I think it is even you know they do kill civilians, but I I think that they are less likely to be killing civilians for the sake of killing civilians, as you'll see with Hamas, as you as as we've seen with the initial attack that actually prompted this whole thing. Uh, I yeah sure um <laughs> I don't know Israel seemed to be um, pretty indiscriminately uh, killing civilians who live in Gaza and especially children who live in Gaza. Mm. Now, a lot of that is because, quite famously, Hamas use 
uh, um, civilians as shields. Yeah. Um, uh, or to make it easier, or make it harder for them to uh, be rooted out. And after what happened in southern Israel with the kind of like guerrilla fighting that bled out of the Gaza Strip, they... I mean it. Um, uh, um, uh, what's his name? Harari, the guy who wrote that book. Uh, Yuval Harari, is that? Yes. Um, <laughs> thank you. I'm glad that you got he, that. He off wrote of the he guy wrote that, Sapiens. Sapiens that, and yes, yeah, yeah, and another one that wasn't as good. Um, but Sapiens uh, Two. He, <laughs> Sapiens Two. <laughs> the, like um, Rise of the Ape. I don't know. Um, but he. Uh, uh, did an interview, a very generous interview with um, Roy Stewart. Uh, he he is in... Israeli, isn't he? I, yes, I, I think, yes, yeah, correct. that's important context. I think for this. Yes, yeah. Um, well, he was he was talking about um, the experience of many of his uh, uh, family and friends in southern Israel, and I don't think I really realised how, for want of a better word, triggering what happened with the. Um, uh, with the the Hamas uh, militants coming in and indiscriminately um, uh, killing and kidnapping, I didn't quite realise how much that mirrored a lot of the history that that Jewish people have um, uh, historically gone through. You mean in terms um, of pogroms and that sort of thing? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Um, uh, and so. That's going to that's going to shake a people. That's going to shake a nation. And I can and there's part of me. And I'm not condoning it, but I understand the desire to then um, uh, clap back hard. But obviously, the clap <laughs> back, <laughs> clap back. That's well um, uh, to to want to um, wipe these wipe Hamas off of the, the face of the earth. But um, uh, there's so many innocent. There's so many innocent people dying. There's so many innocent people dying, um, and it all looks, and it's also shit. <laughs> like I don't like. There's there's the. I think I think it's difficult um, uh, for me not to think about Ukraine um, because Ukraine feels like, from our perspective anyway, a much more binary. Um, there is a clear um, uh, bad guy. There's a clear good guy in my eyes. Yes, I think so. Although I, I, I think Ukraine, in terms of the, the Western perception, benefits from being the underdog in the fights and therefore is actually simply sure. less able to commit atrocities against Russians. Whereas, sure. you know, obviously a key part of the Israeli-Palestine dynamic is that Israel is militarily overwhelmingly mm-hmm. much stronger than, yeah. than Palestine. And it felt, um, uh, with Ukraine, it felt really, like, easy to know what side you are on um whereas and and like how it gets resolved i think even though there are obviously complexities it feels like a much simpler um a much simpler uh goal from yeah. either side uh whereas now after after the decades of a mess i just don't see how this ends in in Israel and in um, uh, Gaza and the West Bank. I don't see how it ends. Um, what we think is now happening, we're recording this on the evening 
um the the friday evening of the 13th friday the 13th um of october whoops and uh israel are currently preparing for ground uh, for a ground invasion of the north of gaza and i find it really difficult to think that they're going to do anything other than like i feel like an israeli occupation of gaza is now pretty much inevitable yes i think that's fair well, I, I don't. Uh, their, their intention is to destroy Hamas, and I don't think they can do that unless they occupy Gaza. Yeah. So. Um, but yes, and this is uh, this. I feel like this is a running theme. I feel like we talked about this when we were talking about um, uh, the boats in the English Channel. Like, I just want. I just. I'd really like it if people could would, would stop dying unnecessarily. And I don't. I don't see how to do it. And I, I find it quite hard to con, to write that in a concise way so it fits on a single Instagram story. Do you know what I mean? So that's why I've not said anything. <laughs> I mean, I think the Ukraine comparisons actually is quite is. I mean, it's interesting for a, a number of reasons. But um, you could you can kind of see, as you say, you can see a way out of the Ukraine war in that Russia can basically give up on its war aims and the the border between Ukraine and Russia Ukraine and Russia can stay the same. Uh, in theory, Ukraine could concede some territory, um, and mm-hmm. you know the territory to the Ukraine's far east does have a Russian-speaking population, um, so they could concede some of the territory there. I don't want to get sidetracked to the war in Ukraine, but you could kind of see a new status quo forming that actually might be stable for the future. But I, I think the thing that you know, at least as long as I've been aware of it, has always been true of the Israel-Palestine conflict is that. They both want the same bits of land, ultimately. It's not like you can fix some sort of border where, yes, there's some overlap between the different populations, the, the Arabs and the Israeli Jews, but it's that they both want all of Jerusalem. Uh, I mean, a lot a lot of Palestinians want the entirety of what used to be Palestine uh, back under Palestinian Arab control. Um, mm-hmm. And I think Israel has some sort has drawn some sort of limits, but in practice, they've been building settlements in the West Bank for years. Um, mm-hmm. They've occupied the Golan Heights in the north, um, and on, you know they've not occupied the Gaza Strip. I think for a decade or so, but um, they're now planning on occupying it again uh, for military reasons. So it is very hard to see, and both sides hate each other because the history is now so you know convoluted and has involved so many atrocities committed um, by both sides against both sides i totally agree with you it's it's very difficult to see a way out of this unless you know unless one side convincingly wins in some respect um mm. i mean it, it's conceivable that israeli could israel could establish enough of a monopoly of force uh, that any sort of Palestinian attempts at uh, you know resisting that, you know, wouldn't seem viable. But then you're probably still looking at you know some kind of terrorist movement as it would be classified. It's not a moral value judgment there, but some sort of you know violent movements that would still exist. So it, it's hard to see a way out of the violence. Is is the is the fundamental truth? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Cool. Yeah. Should we uh, talk about the Labour Party? Yeah. On? Just move on. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think anyone was, was expecting was... expecting an uplifting message there, um, given given what's gone on. So, uh, but I'm. Mm. Yeah. Let's move on to the Labour Party. Um. So, um, in, in I have a segue. Shall I try the segue? Yeah. Go on then. Um. Um. 
well, uh, the the distinct and uh, kind of like extreme change in uh, how the Labour Party, how the top of the Labour Party have addressed... Stop laughing at me. <laughs> Would you like to have another go? <laughs> Labour aren't led by Jeremy Corbyn anymore. Jeremy Corbyn's like, yeah, go Palestine. And Keir Starmer is like, um, uh, uh, Israel has a right to defend herself. I find it really weird that he kept on saying herself. Like, it uh, is yeah, a country, I really, mate. I really hate that. Actually, there's some, there's a YouTube channel really weird um, that just refers to countries as female, and it's just so jarring. It like really bugs me. Anyway. That's kind of an yeah, aside. and and Germany is definitely a man. <laughs> if we're gonna, if we're gonna gender him, let's be clear. Like Germany's definitely a man. So is Finland definitely a man? I feel like Russia probably is. Nah, Russia's a woman. Okay. It's like uh, what's her name? We fucked a horse. That's what I think of when I think of Russia. I sort of want to ask about the horse, but I I, I think we should move <laughs> Let's on. Let's not get sidetracked. Move on. Yeah. Um. Why Why do you think everybody felt that the Labour conference was so boring when actually I thought it was quite interesting? Well, I think they felt it was boring partly because it, it was totally overshadowed by the topic we've just discussed. Um, mm-hmm. And therefore, you know, when there's a, a literal war breaking out in the Middle East, it, it's kind of hard to break through in terms of news. Mm-hmm. Um, unlike Rishi Sunak, uh, Rishi Sunak, just referring to him and not the Tory party, uh, which, as I gather, was intentional. They want to present Rishi Sunak as kind of presidential. They tried that with Theresa May and that went great, didn't it? Well, they tried that with Joe Swinson as well, you'll recall, in the 2019 oh, election. Oh, my God. Rip. You know what? Her Instagram, she, she seems like she's having a lovely time. I, I feel like we keep going back to Instagram and I'm <laughs> really trying to pull us away. Um, how was I going with this? Oh, yeah. Um, there were clear policies um, that Rishi Sunak wanted to outline. Most of them were bad, but they were clear and impactful, uh, often in a negative way. Uh, although we will be talking about his smoking ban proposal in the bonus segment, just to, to tease the listeners mm. a little bit. I don't feel like like there were policies that came out of the Labour um, conference, but they felt more like intentions, more like these are the things we want to achieve in government, which is perfectly fine for a political party to talk about. But it wasn't like we're going to cancel HS2 or we're going to ban smoking for anyone who is currently or, or in this case, um, they kept on trying to get them to commit to opening up HS2 again, and um, they aren't. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that is uh, that's kind of notable. I mean, they have backed the smoking ban, um, and actually, to be Wes Streeting, the the, health, the shadow health secretary, had suggested he would implement a, a New Zealand style smoking ban at the uh, start mm-hmm. of the year. I um, remember that as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, that there are some policies there, but just seem to lack any sort of cut through. And it, I think p- potentially, I mean, this is a good problem to have, as the phrase goes. But I think the the assumption that Keir Starmer is going to be the next prime minister is so baked in now that there's not that interesting sense of jeopardy you, you get with Rishi Sunak, where there is that question of like, oh, he he could turn it round, like somehow it seems exceedingly unlikely, but he could turn it round. Whereas actually, yeah, he really tried, didn't he? Keir Starmer, at this point, he can only lose like that election if he if he does nothing, if he just maintains what he's currently been doing he will win the next general election it's it's pretty much a done deal at this point they're still on 
like literally there were uh, like after the the HS2 thing what else did he did Rishi announce that was like uh, like really shocking I don't know this is really shocking but there's uh, the commitment to force uh, car manufacturers to only only produce new oh, electric yeah. vehicles was pushed back from 2030 He pushed to back 35. all of the all of the woke planet shit yeah fuck the planet <laughs> um <planet> shit. <laughs> he the the amount of times that i've heard a conservative say that he's really turning it around in the polls and there has literally been no change <laughs> like the conservative party are currently between 25 and 30 points in the polls and labor are between uh like 40 and 45 sometimes even above that like there was a yougov poll that came out today that had Labour on 47%, which is insane. Yeah, it's like 97 landslide territory. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, I think one of one of the polls I saw actually said the Tories would win 150 seats or slightly less than 150 seats, which is, is nothing. Um, oh, I hope so. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm... I'll st- no, you're going to say something along the lines of, oh, it's nice to have like a strong um, uh, opposition so that we can have a functioning democracy, aren't you? No, fuck that. No, I wasn't about to say that. <laughs> oh, okay, good. <laughs> I was about to say that I, you know, despite the lack of, of explicit policies, the things that Labour seem to be saying in terms of like encouraging house building by reforming planning law um, and... It just generally seems like good things. Like um, I know, you know, so stuff like stuff like rewiring the national grid mm. is the kind of really boring sounding stuff that I am gagging for. All, <laughs> all I want <laughs> is for government to look after the boring shit like infrastructure and stop like coming for trans people like i i just really like our our wiring in this country for example to be efficient for us to be able to like build on um uh, uh build in different places to be able to um uh like expand the they're planning on building new towns and cities across the country like yeah. uh it looks i'm 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 down i'm in um, it's all of the kind of like really operational level kind of stuff uh, that I really like. It's good. Like he, he, Rishi Sunak, one of Rishi Sunak's big things is like making sure that everybody learns maths um, up until the fact that they're uh, up until being 18. Mm-hmm. God, I'd have hated that so much. Just want to say I'd have I'd have run away and joined the circus or something. Uh, but the problem was that they hadn't actually done any budgeting <laughs> to figure out how many teachers they would need in order to actually fulfill that whereas labor are planning on training more t- they've say they've said that they're going to do more maths um in uh, nurseries like on the other end of the education spectrum so they're going to do more maths in nurseries and they're going to train more primary school teachers in being able to do it and they have like a fully costed thing of how they plan on uh doing that kind of stuff i love it that does seem quite sensible. I'm still going to vote Lib Dem, though, I think. Which constituency will you be voting in? Uh, um, Harlow. <laughs> is that your parents' constituency? Is that where you're going yep. to vote? Okay. And that's yep. a, is that a safest Tory seat? or? 
it's it's i think it's like the third safest toy seat in the country <laughs> pretty safe <laughs> so i can so i can pretty much vote however i want yeah i guess so i'm, I'm... i but I, I think i remember in uh 2005 uh, no in, two, in the 2017 election the lib dems got like one percent of the vote and me and my brother looked at each other and went i think i think that's us <laughs> so is, is are the Lib Dems the second party in that constituency? Then is that where you're voting? No, for I them? think it's Labour. So what, why are you voting Lib Dem then? Because I live because before, because we don't have proportionate representation, Jimmy. And in safe seats, it doesn't matter. In first past the post, uh, if I'm not voting for, like no, they're not going to win. <laughs> the second place are not going to win in like one of the safest Tory seats in the country. Although maybe they are. If we're having a landslide, maybe I should revisit this. But also, I mean, if it doesn't matter who you vote for, are you saying you prefer the Lib Dems to Labour? I just really like Lely Moran, you know. She, I just think she's like... Is I, she I standing want in nerds. your constituency? Or? No, but she was. She did stand in my constituency so in, you feel that when I lived in. residual Oxford. loyalty to her then? Yeah, and I just, I just think she's a massive nerd and I love her. Um, she has a strong personal brand. I will give her that. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. You know what? You know what? With the with the kind of swings that um, we've been seeing, Harlow might not be that bad. That um, uh, so Labour about thirty points behind the Conservatives. That's not unheard of with the kind of uh, landslide that we might be looking at. That could be fun. Okay, cool. I'll think about it. Think about it. I'm in Croydon mm-hmm. North, which I think. Is a safe oh, we just Labour c- seat. Oh, oh, lovely. Yeah, it's uh, 2019. Steve Reid had two-thirds of the vote in percentage terms. It's quite impressive. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think... Uh, I also... I actually just do want Labour to win. So it's, it's quite a straightforward decision for me, I think. What's the most exciting uh, policy that you're looking forward to under a Labour government being enacted? I think it's the house-building thing. I mean, mm-hmm. for various personal reasons that I won't go into, <clears throat> I no longer am getting totally fucked by the housing market. However, the housing market is totally fucked in this country, and it is like it's a complete joke, and it needs to be fixed. Mm-hmm. So, probably more than anything, I mean, I guess you can make a case about the environment, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, but as I think Tony Blair said, it sort of doesn't matter what the UK does on the environment; it's going to be down to China and India and the the massive you know, economies around the world, <clears throat> many of which, that's, you know, are still going for industrialization. Um, I think that's probably true. I, I think in terms of domestic policy, house building, allowing people to afford a house on a reason, on a normal salary, um, mm-hmm. you know, has to be sort of a basic thing. I'm not quite going to say like it's a human right, but it should it should be something that is just available to people. And it, it does seem something that is has become profoundly fucked in, in my lifetime. I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like the infrastructure stuff. You know, it's it's boring. We'll never talk about it on the podcast. But I, I like GB, trains. GB so. Energy, man. GB Energy is my favorite thing. Like, let's bring it... I, and I want to see if that uh, concept of having a state-run competitor um, uh, putting, uh, like, competing for contracts whether that's something that can then be replicated across other industries like for example uh like bring it back into like the way that we want trains and stuff like that um i saw the yeah, train I find that really some, some of the train franchises have been 
kind of nationalized under the Tories. Just well, yeah, but yeah, because because the private companies keep fucking it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, to be you know, to be fair, that was that was part of Blairite doctrine, wasn't it? Bring the private sector in more if you can to run public services. So. Mm-hmm. We can blame the Tories for continuing that policy, but not necessarily for originating it, um, or you know, continuing that attitude. I mean, I actually guess I guess it was Margaret Thatcher who originated it, so we can blame them for that as well. Oh um, my God, excellent! So, but you know, Labour had their hand in it, is all is is all I would say. Um, it is kind of a sign that I mean, the fact that that dogma has actually broken down does actually mean, in some ways, Jeremy Corbyn was successful in changing British politics more towards his liking. Well, Jimmy throw, Nichols, throw that feels like a think. Uh, that feels like a think piece that needs to be published in the New Statesman magazine. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it already has been, um, not, even if not framed quite that way. Uh, I, there's a there's a piece in the New Statesman which is something like Keir Starmer is no Blairite. So I've not read it, but I guess that is uh, it's by Lewis Goodall. Um, I'm guessing that makes roughly that point or, or something similar to it. So, um, mm-hmm. but I, I mean. Even if in in terms of like those kind of policies, he's not a Blairite. He's clearly following Tony Blair's model of like playing it very safe. Don't upset the apple cart. Don't scare people mm-hmm. off. Well, when you're where you are, when you're so far ahead, it, Christ alive, it must be stressful. And did you see his face when that protester came up? He was just like, oh, "Bugger me, this is going to ruin everything." That's that. That's what the worry was. Are you sure the worry was not? Oh shit! Does he have a knife or? Something it was possibly effect. also that, yeah. They really need, they're going to need to step up that security, man. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, I, I think as prime minister, you get you get official security, <laughs> don't you? So you know, he only needs to bloody hope so. He only needs to solve that problem for the next year, and, uh, and then it'll be taken care of for him by someone else. What was the deal with that protest? That guy came and threw glitter on him and said, basically, there needs to be a citizens' assembly for some reason. Yeah, abolish He's... abolish parliament, have a house of the people, not mm. a house of commons. I mean, Sounds nice. Does it, though? I mean, <laughs> does it? Somebody did ask me about uh, sortition the other day, this kind of idea that instead of electing representatives, you just have a lottery system. And it's basically government by jury, actually. We that... we have definitely talked about this in the past. Yeah. In um, one of our, like, rabbit holes down something other than first-past-the-post voting systems, this has definitely come up. I think maybe, actually, in how do we reform the Lords. Probably. I, to be honest with you, I don't think it's having a lottery system to elect, or sorry, select representatives, I don't think is a totally terrible idea. Um, I'm... Oh, dear. I'm not saying we're gonna, I'm not going to go out and campaign for it. I'm just saying if it did happen, would you, you get throw glitter over over a politician in order to try and make the point? No, is what I, you're don't, saying. I don't think so. Um, I don't think no. it's been terribly effective uh, at making the point. Um, but you know, he does have a right to protest, I guess. And although he's been, oh, a, yeah, yeah, and yeah, nice, yeah, very nice. Yeah. Or oh, does he? Well, he's been arrested and probably charged with something. I don't know. So I guess he doesn't have that right, arguably. <laughs> but it, I mean, it's just weird. It's it sort of felt like you you know the way when Theresa May uh, was giving that famous conference speech, and there was there were letters falling down the back of the, the yeah. stage, and her voice she was sick, so her voice was really croaky. And then that comedian came and handed her a P forty five, and it yeah. really summarised what the conference was about. And actually, the glitter thing 
didn't seem to be relevant at all. It just seemed to be like a, a footnote on the event. And I, I think in a way that does sort of summarise the general mood. He was just have. nice and sparkly. Yeah. Should there be more sparkly things in politics, do you think, Jazza? I think so. That That's how you get the young people in, involved in politics, isn't it? I thought you had to do stuff on TikTok and to be relevant these days. Oh, uh, yeah, also that. Yeah. Yeah, post-extremist content on social media. Okay. Uh, we can send that into Kirstama, see how he feels about it, send him yeah. out on it. Yeah, pay, pay us money. We'll be your consultants, Keir. Sorry, Sir Keir. Yeah, there was a segue between the glitter protester and our third topic that we've we've now missed. But um, do you want to talk about this free speech star? 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 Zar. Zar. Although yeah. he could be a star as well. Depends Go on. Goes for him. <laughs> Go on. What's your take? How I just want to gauge how annoyed I have to be at you. Okay. Um, so <laughs> Cambridge academic Arif Ahmed. So he's been an academic for 20 plus years. He's also done time as a done time, done time as a trade unionist uh, as well. So he's, he's used to sort of advocating for people in disputes with their, their employers. He's, he's been, he was appointed several months ago as a free speech, uh, the, sort, the government's champion of free speech for the Office for Students. The role is roughly to, to, stop, to stop students from cancelling or hassling or bullying uh, people with controversial views in universities. Um, that's, that's fair, isn't it? That's a fair summary. Uh-huh. And the other day he gave a, his first public speech where he kind of outlined what it's all about. Um, I have to say that I've actually... So what, what's, what's it all about? <laughs> Basically, his, I mean, his sense uh, of the lay of the land... And, you know, I, I, I would agree with him on this. I, I think in universities there has been a kind of stifling, censorious culture that has emerged. Um, and the, the way this has chiefly expressed itself is in people, you know, various speakers being invited to student societies and then having their invitations rescinded or those societies coming under pressure to cancel the invitations. Um and I guess also the, the sort of signature example of the way Kathleen Stock was treated at the University of Sussex for, um, I guess you could call them anti-trans, she would call them gender critical views, her scepticism about uh, some of the proposed advances in in trans rights that have been put forward. Um, mm-hmm. She eventually had to leave that job and she, she was definitely being harassed at that university by students. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's... There's a piece that you sent me by Adam Ramsey on Open Democracy where he does this this bizarre thing that I, I I don't know why critics of free speech feel the need to do this, but sort of denies there's even a problem where there there quite clearly is a problem. Like, or there's clearly something happening. There... There's quite clearly something happening. There's something happening, but uh, it, I don't think it's a problem. Well, okay, I don't think okay. it's that big a deal. Well, you can either argue it's not that big of a deal, or you can say, I actually approve of these people having their invitations taken away to speak at these things. Um, but but I, the thing that annoys sure, me is, yeah, I, is people who I, people I who claim people who claim it's not happening is what annoys me. I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this. Uh, I don't think this free speech sir, is. I can't really see what he's going to do. I mean, he's he can adjudicate. I, I don't know what exact powers he has, but seemingly he it doesn't can, really look like he has any powers. He can, does it? He can intervene in some way when 
you know, say that you're a, I don't know, a free speech society at the University of uh, Bristol or something, and uh, you want to invite a controversial speaker, I don't know, a Jordan Peterson, a, or something like that. Um, some students like protest against that. They try and pressure you into uh, into having that invitation cancelled in some way. You can then mm-hmm. presumably appeal to uh, Arif Ahmed as the, the head of the um, uh, student department and he can intervene in some way. I don't know. I, I think the reason I'm sceptical this is going to work is that I mean, there's lots of people that still believe in the value of open debate and the, the, the values that he out, he outlined in his, his speech um, earlier this month. But I think if culturally, and I think a lot of this stuff is generational, I think the sort the, the cohort of people that are at university now, sort of, um, I guess, Generation Z, um, I don't think they believe in free speech in the way that people in the way that middle-aged people believe in it or people who are older than middle age i think there isn't there's a an older-fashioned conception of free speech that i subscribe to which is that you should have unpleasant ideas out in the open people should be able to like bicker about them and i think that the younger generations have a much more have a view that a much broader view of which types of speech are harmful in some way i mean this is this is the argument that's put forward and I think if students generally believe that, that is what creates the climate of, of censorship that some people observe. And I don't think having a free, you know, a head of free speech as a government department somewhere is going to change that because it's a cultural thing. And the only way to change that culture would be to abolish the students, basically, to, to you know, remove those students and bring in a cohort of students that do believe in that slightly more old-fashioned view of free speech. Yeah, mate, I don't buy it. <laughs> like, what don't you buy? I, I, I do not see there being a problem of these people who have immense, generally have very successful platforms mm. who do not have their speech. Apart from some cases where like individuals are hounded, but there are anti—that's harassment. Like there are anti-harassment yeah. laws in yeah. the UK that should stop that kind of stuff. That's not a problem with free speech. No, no, if no. no somebody... well, well, that is a problem with free speech. That is a free speech problem. If people are harassing people over their views, it is a free speech problem. The fact that there is criminal law available to prosecute those people doing that does not change the fact there's a problem sure yeah no i agree with you um but i don't i do not see um uh an a private institution generally um uh, uh choosing not to choosing to invite somebody and then maybe rescind an invitation or not invite somebody i don't understand how anyone expects there to be a situation where um, you force people to be exposed to views that they don't want to be exposed to. Well, I, I think at these societies, people are not being forced to expose to these. I mean, it, effectively, these clubs are saying, "Oh, we'll, we'll bring in this controversial speaker," um, you know, such as Kathleen. I mean, there's there's video footage of, yeah, Ka- and... of Kathleen Stock going to speak at universities, and then people who don't like her views will turn up and try and disrupt the event and prevent other yeah, people from, he- from hearing what she has to say. Yeah. But they have something to say as well. So you have two people's forms of speech then clashing. But it's there's that's more freedom. That's more speech being allowed. And the idea that you're expected to not protest, I think, is ridiculous. Like, that's what freedom of speech is. And it's actually people who don't have generally as much of a voice as the people who are being who are being protests. The people who don't have as much of a voice who are protesting and being told, no, you're you're 
be you're you're against freedom of speech where they are exercising their right to freedom of speech so i don't think that the right to protest extends itself to preventing other people from speaking so if somebody's been invited to go to an event and say their piece if you want to stand outside that and actually say we don't you know we've signed saying we don't like this person we don't like what they stand for i think that's fine if you if you force your way into the event and actually shout down and prevent somebody from speaking i mean yes in a sense that you are just using your freedom of speech but you're infringing on somebody else's right to speak and you're preventing other people from hearing what that person has to say but, but, but these people that we are talking about have plenty of opportunities to have people hear what they have to say. Yeah. Like as if, that, mean... as if there is a taking away of like power here. The power dynamics are all off. The people who are saying that they don't have the right to speak are the people who have copious amounts of, of, of opportunities to speak. And the people who don't are very often unable to get on TV shows, talk about their stuff, have book deals, have radio shows, etc. I mean, you say that, but I think that... I, I... Come on, I need to find the stat, but like a huge number of a huge proportion of students at universities um, actually say that they don't feel that they have. Uh, oh, here we go. It's not that it was fourteen percent. Fourteen. Yeah, sorry. Forty percent of... of students don't feel that they can freely express their views at university. I mean, that it's not a huge figure, but it's it's quite a reasonable size figure. Um, and those people aren't powerful, if you want to put it that way. And and they're they're responding to you know, a somewhat censorious culture on, on university campuses. Yeah, I think there is a phenomenon of, uh, and you see it a lot, a lot in the United States here, where people are, are worried about saying the wrong thing a lot. Yeah. And I think that I, I, I that is a phenomenon that I wish that we were better at handling and being able to have more... Um, normal conversations about these things and kinder conversations about these things uh but the kind of people who are complaining about uh this phenomenon of a small number of people being uninvited or protested uh against on university campuses it's just it's just another fucking dead cat um uh, and and it's just another fucking dead cat do you you know what that phrase means like yes i do what 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 are they distracting people from from uh, from the cost of living crisis from uh from all of the problems jk fucking rowling is 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 complaining about free speech because she wants to distract from the cost of living crisis no i think i think she's complaining about free speech because she's a proper cunt um but this is the this is a government um this is a government uh, like policy and a government stance that they have that is trying to once again like politicize uh, uh, this space where they aren't particularly popular and it's easy to rile up the Tory base about this kind of these kinds of things and I find it just so hypocritical when we've seen one of the biggest assaults on civil liberties from this uh, government with the Public Order Act that says that if you're being too loud at a protest, you can get arrested. Like that. Oh, let's just sit down and have a quiet little protest. Then nobody say a thing. Don't disrupt anything. That is the whole point of protests. Yes, that's true. I mean, I still stand by my previous statement that when you're protesting in such a way that it prevents other people from expressing themselves, I think that is bad. Um, but I, I mean, the Public Order Act has been a problem since well before the Tories have uh, you know started reforming it it's it's a fairly broad piece of legislation that does allow the police to arrest people for you know whatever the definition of public disorder is basically mm-hmm. so it, it's been bad for a while 
Um, I mean, I, I kind of agree with your, I think I do agree with your point that actually for a lot of these. And that's big... where we will leave this. <laughs> I swear you do this every time. Every time I say, yeah, you're right about this one thing. You're like, stop the I really, podcast. I really enjoy it. I really enjoy it. Um, I, you know, to be fair, you are, you're totally right about Kathleen Stock. You do not need to go to university society in order to hear what her views are. Although you might want to go there and actually, you know, interrogate her views and chat to her about your views and that's that's something that would be harder to do in other venues so it's not like nothing's being lost in those instances mm-hmm. um i mean i, I also just I, I can't really see what having a, a free speech chief is that it will accomplish very much and I, that's not a criticism on the guy who's been appointed i just don't see how that role could do what it what it claims to do and I also agree with you that actually the the tories have done some some pretty bad things about uh you know affecting free speech in negative ways outside of universities. Um, I mean, you talked about the right to protest. Suella Braverman this week said that if you were waving a Palest- Palestinian flag, that could be interpreted as, as some sort of hate crime that the, the police should intervene in. I mean, that is just crazy. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Newsflash, Suella Braverman, allegedly crazy. Yeah, and I, I think actually... I'm not 100% sure how I feel about this, but the, the, the legislation that means that you cannot express um, support for prescribed terrorist organizations, I mean, I, I get why that's in, in place, but in the case of something like Hamas, it's, for, it's, it's, it's difficult to actually entirely disentangle um, people who want to defend Palestine and also pe- and people who might be interpreted as, as defending Hamas or other Palestinian organisations for violence they have perpetrated. And I I think when it comes to debates like the, you know, the one we started the podcast with, it's hard to see how that legislation can be made workable, basically. And I, mm-hmm. I think that a government that, I mean, to be honest with you, I think the Tory support for free... I mean, I think there's some people who sincerely support free speech in the Tory party, but the general... Ten, you know, tenor of the party clearly isn't that inter- in the way that it actually governs the country clearly isn't that interested in free speech not at all like I, th- I think some of the some of the things that the czar said he said stuff like um uh oh you should be able to say that the uk is institutionally racist or that it has never been you should be able to say uh, like yeah. um uh, talk about and support marxism or blah 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 that is not <laughs> That is not what the Tory Party thinks. The Tory Party attacks those um, uh, and politicizes those points of views all of the time. They want free speech as long as it aligns with their values, which is why it's a dead cat. It's dead. It's there. It's rotting on the table. Everyone's looking at it. Uh, I don't think it's a dead cat. I'm just going to call everything a dead cat. Um, Everything I don't like is a dead cat. I also, I mean, I also don't think, and this this actually applies. I mean, generally, it's the left that I think uh, that is generally accused of censorship by the uh, by people who advocate for free speech, and I, I think it's guilty of a lot of it. But um, just criticizing something something vociferously is not the same as trying to silence it. And I I think that some of those things you said, the Tory party, you know, gets hysterical about. I think you know, there's a di- there's a difference between. I mean, it's like people saying. You know, people complain that young people aren't respectful enough towards Churchill or something like that. There's a difference between saying that and saying they should be arrested for not being respectful enough towards Churchill, if you see what I mean. Mm -hmm. Um, But, uh, I mean, it it sounds like we're somewhat in agreement on this. Like, we're not that impressed by the the free speech star. I can't say that word. Um, 
And I mean, we don't agree about uh, you, you're 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 pretty chill about people being cancelled from university speaking circuits. And I've also kind of relaxed, but not quite in the same way. But there's some overlap here. We've we've sort of come together at the end of the podcast. Yeah, you agree with me to some extent, I think. So thank you so much dear listener for listening to us um if you enjoyed this banter we're now going to talk about smoking on the (laughs) extra episode for for our patrons but you have to give us at least one of your american dollars in order to be able to do so all right pop over do that say goodbye jimmy bye-bye jimmy that's not funny i'm a dad now (sighs) i have to make dad jokes oh my god leave bye bye